Hallelujah. Well, we got this stool out of the uh, Charleston public school system here. <laughs> uh, Rod didn't want me to help him down the stairs. He said he's not that old yet. What a thank you, Rod. Thank you. It's uh, really just a an honor to be here with Rod and Mary. And uh, through many dangers, toils, snares, and strife, we have already come. His grace has brought us through thus far. Grace will lead us home. You know, uh, I guess as time goes by, you meet the people that you can count on. And I just thank the Lord for Pastor Rod. Just count on him. He and Mary, they did walk through a storm. I'm looking forward to his book coming out about that. Because, you know, uh, the pastors go through storms. How many of you are a pasteurizer? You pastor a church. Raise up your hand. Oh, wow. Let's give them all a hand clap. Come on, guys. Awesome. Well, and, and, and we got some legacy believers here tonight. Raise up your hands, right? Oh, my goodness. Look at this. Dr. Baird, thank you for giving me the opportunity to see this beautiful building and what a great worship team. Was that awesome? I don't know who wrote those songs, but man. And, you know, the, uh, what are you doing here? You go to my church. What you... <laughs> uh, but the brother that led the worship picked me up at the airport today. He said, yeah, I, I do the worship, but where is that brother? Where up, Brad? Man, what a blessing you did up. Fantastic job. Well, we're just going to have fun. Now, Rod asked me to teach three times. Y'all going to get tired of me, and I'm going to have to be making stuff up by the end of this, okay? <laughs> I ain't got three sessions in me. My real problem is that a lot of you have heard everything I know. <laughs> you have read the Remnant book. You've been to Bethany conferences. Uh, Rod gives you some of our conference calls, so there's nothing I don't, I don't have. How many of you have not read the Remnant book? Raise up your hand. Okay. Quite a few. Good. Good. That makes me feel better right there. <laughs> but this has been a good year just to take another minute or two to circle the airport. Uh, last year was a monumental time for us as Jonathan, our second son, became the senior uh, lead pastor, as the new generation likes to call it, lead pastor, not senior. They don't like anything senior. <laughs> but he became our lead pastor and doing a really fantastic job. They had overflow at 11 o'clock yesterday at the South Campus on video, had to put out 200 chairs. and It's just really amazing what the new generation is doing, but now I'm free. And <laughs> I did preach all this weekend there. I do once a month. It's what he wants me to do right now, but our lives are changing quickly, Melanie and I. I was able to do 33 meetings last year outside of Bethany where I actually preached conferences or whatever, so you can see I was busy, and that started about five years ago when uh, Pastor Mike Ware, who's sitting over there on my right, he and Jeannie, who received the first Remnant Award got involved in uh, the situation in Colorado Springs, and boy, life changed because all of a sudden we saw things 
in the inside of a mega church that we didn't know existed, we didn't know happened. We've just been floating along through everything's wonderful. The Brother Roy bubble that we've lived in was popped. And we found ourselves just trying to pull pieces together. Really, it was like an egg that fell off a wall. And we were trying to patch this thing together, and it wasn't a one-day thing. The media left in one day. Praise God for that. But then were all these leaders looking at us saying, you know, who are we? What do we do? We're dealing with a fallen pastor, we're, we're, and, it, and it didn't stop. And I want to thank God for Pastor Mike, where he lives about 90 minutes away, and, and that brother was down there sometimes, two or three times a week. And we really, really embarked on a new course. I guess the last five years, I just didn't realize the need in the United States for really, really pure, real, honest leadership. Now I do. And since the Remnant book came out, it's in, I believe, five languages. Every time I go do a conference around the world, I'm sure that it's translated into that language. We, for free, provide copies for senior pastors. That's happened in Ghana and in Russia and in Portugal and in, in Brazil, rather, and in um, Spanish-speaking countries. I've been four times to Mexico since May. I met the president along with about 35 other Americans. And the Lord just opened the nation up. So I've been, I just got back last week from my third conference there, giving away books, 250 key leaders that came together. And it's just really the Holy Spirit. So this is a move of the Holy Spirit. And I think that NRP transmits those values quite well. And that may mean that your group will not be as large as you'd like it to be initially because you're all saying, you know, well, we're looking for thousands. Well, I'm looking for 300 is what I'm looking for. Gideon's men that can lap that water but keep their eye on the enemy. And from what I understand, that is our vision in NRP at this stage of the game. Our first level of vision is 300 key pastors who want to serve God, live clean, love their wife, keep their promises, preach the word. And that would be a great way to begin tonight, is just say we're all committing to that vision. How many of you would say, I'll commit to that vision right there? Now see, you say, well, what can 300 pastors do among 300,000 churches more in America? God never is dependent upon large things. Not that we want to remain small. Things should not shrink and be small and tiny. We are all celebrating about that. But in this case, what we're dealing with is uh, a value. Small things can be extremely valuable. A diamond is a small, small thing. But it's extremely valuable. What I think Pastor Rod and the leadership and I met with them this afternoon are looking for are diamonds that can sparkle in the night sky, that can sparkle in a dark, dark nation. Because America is the seventh state now is, is legalizing gay marriage. This is moving fast. It may be 2015, 2016 for another president is elected and states are falling kind of like dominoes and those of us that want to live pure and clean and holy and right lives are going to find ourselves increasingly under pressure to concede to the gay movement and many, many other things. But I would say that our focus should be on that 300. That's what's in 
uh, Pastor Rod's heart is to have a Gideon's 300. Take the hand of somebody beside you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's agree for 300 key pastors that, that love God, love America, and want to submit to godly leadership. Father, we're here tonight in the opening time of this NRP conference reminding ourselves that you've placed in the heart of Pastor Rod a vision of 30 fathers with 10 pastors under each one, godly, clean, right, happy, and filled with the Spirit. Tonight, Lord, we commit ourselves to that vision in His behalf. We agree with He and Mary that all of the tears and all of the labor and all of the seed that they're sowing tirelessly weekend after weekend is going to bear a harvest. You said we shall reap if we faint not. Let us do good to all men and to the household of faith. And I thank you, Lord, in Pastor Rod and Mary is a new fire and a new vigor. Let them be encouraged in 2012 that new churches that want to submit and commit are connecting to this movement. And Father, we're just going to thank you for our fellowship, our time together. Challenge us, direct us, and encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Okay, open your Bible to 1 Timothy 3. I'm just a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a... You know, an apostle. Y'all heard about the three three parrots down in Columbia? Did you hear about that? All right, you want to hear about it? I heard this in Mexico last week. Uh, they had three parrots down there. A guy was asking about the first one. He said, this was $10,000. He said, why is that? He says, because he can preach the gospel and people get saved. And they said, wow, that's amazing. There was another parrot. He said, what about this one? He said, this was 20000 he said, this one can not only preach, but he has signs and wonders following his preaching. Wow. Guys, that's unbelievable. He said, what about this third one? He said, well, he's 50,000. He said, really? What does he do? He said, well, he's an apostle. He doesn't do anything. <laughs> Help me, Lord. But we read in 1 Timothy 3 that an overseer, an overseer who desires, rather, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Remember that. Encourage yourself in that. I'm in a fine work. I'm doing a fine work. You say, but you ain't got but 30 people. That's all right. I'm doing a fine work. Come on, everybody say, I'm doing a fine work. I'm doing a fine work for the Lord. If you desire the office of an overseer. Now, being raised in a ministry family is a huge privilege in my life. Daddy, God love him. He lives with me. And about every day. Not, not today, but every day, just about. I go in there, and he and I solve all the world's problems together. 93. He made 93 last Thursday. And I mean he has his own car. If you want to know where he is if his car's not there, it's at Walmart. He only goes one place. He eats at Walmart. He banks at Walmart. He gets his glasses at Walmart. He has a dentist at Walmart. No, not really, but everything's Walmart. And he's just on fire for the Lord. Reading Smith Wigglesworth, on fire for God, happy. Think of yourself that way. It's a fine work. Daddy's at the end of his life, rejoicing, shouting, 
imparting to me. Jonathan is now his pastor. Daddy made 93. Jonathan made 31 on the same day, last Thursday. And I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm about 60. How about that? I'm 58. So it's a fine work. You're, you're involved in a fine work. Even the discouragement, even the deacon board. Brother Osteen talked about he had a longhorn deacon. and said his wife had a tongue so long she could lick a spoon in the living room, standing in the kitchen. Come on, say it's a fine work. It's a fine work. Pastor called me on the way up here. He had problems in one of his elders. and Had elderitis and he's... Need me to maybe slide in through there. But it's a fine work. And even through all that Pastor Rod and Mary have been through. Look at Pastor Stephen and his wife who are here. Isn't that a blessing? Y'all stand up. Let's give them a hand clap. I'm proud of you, Stephen. That's the new generation right there. You know, wisdom is justified by her children. There they are, serving God, pastoring. It's a fine work. So I want to encourage you, first of all. I'm going to say some things that are strong, maybe a little bit tonight as I go through these verses. But just be encouraged, first of all, that you're here, you love Jesus, you love your wife, you're serving God, your church is good, life is good. Dr. Cho has taught me the power of confession every day. He says, I'm a healthy person. Come on, say it out loud. I'm a healthy person. I'm a happy person. I'm a successful person. See, he says your mouth is like a magnet, that whatever you say, you draw that to it. Resources, people, to accomplish what your mouth says every day. You need to say, I, I, I'm doing a fine work for the Lord. Kevin, this is a fine building. Legacy Church is a fine work for the Lord. You'll drive up sometime, the devil said, look at this thing. This thing ain't well good. You, know, again, you look at somebody that's got a big old church or something, and you... Oh, just encourage yourself. Look at somebody and say, you're doing a fine work for the Lord. Oh, yeah. Praise ye the Lord. All right. An overseer then. Now we're going to just get into this a little bit. I don't know how far I'll make it. I'll stop when it's time. And then we'll hook on again in the morning. An overseer then must be above reproach. I find it interesting that he did not start with our talents or our gifts. You know, I find, as John Maxwell says, we need to be as big on the inside as we are on the outside. And everybody has a gift of some description. If you didn't have a gift, you wouldn't be here. Gifted people are everywhere. But a gift and an anointing are two different things. You can be gifted and even develop that gift and build by motivational abilities and talents and education and all of those things. But anointing comes through submission, brokenness, connectedness, humility. That's the, the carrier of the anointing. So he starts with being above reproach. And I, of course, in the remnant book, those of you that haven't read it, I always like to select three of the ten qualities that, in my mind, speak the loudest about being above reproach. The first being integrity. Integer, whole number. 
not 99.99, but 100. Above reproach means that there's nothing that the enemy can lay hold upon. That's what the Greek word reproach means, to lay hold on. Nothing that the devil can reach out and grab and say, oh, got you. I got you, right? Uh Uh-huh. Yep, got you. Got you in your money. Oh, oh, got you looking at that pornography. Oh, got you in that. See, and he, he lays traps that he might be able to whisper in your ear, got you. Above reproach means, one, it is impossible to bring a charge against under impartial examination. Above reproach. That is a tall order. Serve God like Daddy for 65, 70 years and never have a stain on your record. As they say, that ain't no joke. Get your neck broke. Brother, staying out of sin, staying away from temptation, walking pure, walking clean. May I just say that this is your highest part of your fine work that you do is who you are. That's not being said a lot, but I'm, I'm going to emphasize that. Many of you pastor smaller churches, I'm sure, because the average size is 75 in the United States. Be encouraged today that you're doing a fine work for the Lord when you are above reproach. Now you say, well, my church is not as big as I want it to be. Yeah, but the, the, the game ain't over yet. The game is over when you have reproach in your life. It can be rebuilt. But right now, as of this moment, you are walking in integrity. Now, of course, that involves money, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. Integrity with money. And I'll deal with that in a minute. It involves commitments. When you say you're going somewhere, you are committed to do that. And your word is your bond, like the way my grandfather borrowed money in 1935, just with a handshake. And I tell pastors all the time, you know, if you just if you ever give your word to your people or to another person, another ministry, Daddy used to laugh. He'd say, missionaries would tell him, when a pastor commits, we're going to start supporting you next month. They knew that 90% of the time that would never happen. That's not supposed to happen now. I always come back to my dear friend, Billy Joe Darty. He was in St. Petersburg. He's with the Lord now. Billy Joe went to be the Lord. He's about my age. And he went 18 months in a row to St. Petersburg, Russia, because he promised the people he would come back every month for 18 months. He fulfilled that. That's a lot. He would fly there, be there on a the weekend, Friday, Saturday. He'd fly back, do his church in Tulsa. But one of those times, Terry Hanley, who does did the Crusades every month, lived there. Terry told me this thing that happened. They were going to bring in an American singer one weekend for Billy Joe's big, massive crusade, 21,000-seat arena. And the singer had to cancel because he broke his leg. So Billy Joe's reading the flyer, and at the bottom it says there's going to be a concert. He asks Terry, he says, what's this concert? Well, Pastor, we had rented out the arena the night before the crusade just to have this guy come in. But he broke his leg and we had to cancel the concert. He said, really? Yeah, we've already canceled the arena, canceled the sound system, all that's done. He says, yeah, but how many of these flyers went out? 
He said, a hundred thousand. He said, Terry, we're going to have a concert. He said, we don't have a singer, Pastor. He said, Terry, you're about to learn how to sing, brother. <laughs> and Billy Joe left to go back. And Terry, God love him, had rescheduled at the cost of thousands of dollars the sound system, the arena, everything. He'd been spending days canceling it, announcing it and everything. Now it's back on. So he goes around the back of the building the night of the event, doesn't hear a sound coming from the arena. Normally it's very loud. And he thought, oh, Lord. Walks on the stage in the back, pulls open the curtains, and there sat 8,000 people who didn't get the word that the concert was canceled. He and two backup singers sang. And he preached a little message. And hundreds of people got saved that night. Because of a man who keeps his promises. That's a simple thing. It sounds simple. But if you're one of those men that do that, you're doing a fine work. And then, of course, with your doctrine, you need integrity. Don't drift over. This phone call I got this morning was about the hyper-grace message. Grace is a wonderful word from the Lord. Grace and peace be multiplied to me. But Jesus came to give us grace and truth. And this brother says you don't repent once you get saved. Well, you know, Jesus told him in Revelation 2, repent, therefore. That, see, that when we get over out of the center line, and I've watched Daddy through the years because how many viruses have come through the body of Christ? And I mean good things, but they got our mind off soul winning and off missions and off this and that and got over into this deal. And then it has to be corrected and come back. And see, just stay right in the center of integrity, purity, souls, kingdom, business. Stay there. Keep your doctrine whole. This is a part of integrity to me. A second word that I would use in being above reproach is purity. Purity. Now, on and on we could go about the realities of temptation. Um, Billy Graham should set the standard to Modesto Manifesto. He said, number one, I will never be alone with a woman. He would not even allow any other rooms to be rented on the whole floor of his hotel so there would be no cleaning women on the floor. He didn't even want cleaning women. He said, I don't want one of them coming in and maybe knocking on the door and I'm there. No, no. Now that was how committed. And I met the man, Dr. Phillips, who went in his room, Billy Graham's room, every night inspected under the bed, in the closet, everywhere verified there's nobody in here. And posted a man at the door all night. That was what Dr. Graham wanted his entire ministry. And he's the same age as daddy. And still above reproach. You don't have to fall into sin. You just maintain certain guidelines. And those being easy. Don't be alone with a woman. I had a lady put me out one time on our property. She wanted to give me a ride. I got in and said, wait a minute. You know what? I appreciate this ride. But I don't think it's 
right or a good idea for me to be riding along with a woman. God bless. She had a big old Mercedes. She had big diamonds on her finger and all that. She'd come from out of town to visit us. And I said, I hope this doesn't offend you. But really, I didn't care. Because these are principles. I do not counsel women. I've got women staff members that counsel women. Cut down on my counseling load tremendously. I don't talk to them alone in the lobby. They want to whisper to me, I need to talk to you just a minute. I say, Sister, my brother's standing here by me. What do you want us to pray with you about? Well, I just need to talk to you in person. No, no, Sister, if there's something you need us to pray for you about, tell us. And he, Hank and I will agree with you. See, it's just little, simple things that keep our lives pure and above reproach. And these are critical. And I could go into those. You can read the book and you'll, you'll read some of the guidelines that I feel have helped my family and others. And all my sons know these things. But everybody doesn't know them. I figured that out. One guy's traveling around the world with his secretary. I said, what in the world are you doing? He said, we have a professional relationship and it, you know what? Get over in Fiji somewhere with your secretary in the same hotel and see where that professional relationship moves to. You just don't do that kind of stuff. Amen? Amen. And then, example. A life above reproach is integrity, purity, example. It, the example is what you and I are known to do in the community. See that? The eyes of the community is upon you. Like Texas Rangers. The eyes of people is upon you. And brother, they're watching every little thing. I was in a doctor's office last week, and Melanie overheard these two ladies going out and talking about how my demise, my physical demise. I was in this doctor's office. Oh, that's it. That's why he turned that church over to somebody. Look at him. He's in here in the doctor's office. Here they go. Yap, 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 yap. My kids were in the movie theater, and I walked in with some popcorn, sat down, and overheard one guy behind me said, That's that billionaire pastor right there. <laughs> billionaire, not millionaire. Billionaire, Kevin. Dude, I'd love to break into the millionaire bracket. <laughs> I don't own my house. I don't own my car. I don't own anything. But you know what? It got me down as a billionaire. People in the community watch every little thing, even when you get a speeding ticket. Brother, get pulled over on the interstate and see if you don't hear about it from your members who pass, honking, boom. I mean, every little, I set, I, I drive South Campus many times a week. I set that cruise control, and I just enjoy the Lord. I hate it. I, I love to get on down there, but I just set that thing. Because when we deal with the example of our lives, you can lose that in a moment. You can do something in a grocery line. Listen. I like what James Robinson said. If you want to get in the longest line in the checkout, just get in behind me. <laughs> what is it about when I get in a line, the lady at the checkout gets every coupon out of her wallet. And here she goes, man. And I mean, we just standing on one foot and the other one. And then the person leaves the register to go find the manager. Then they get on the microphone and call the back of Walmart to come do a price check. And brother, I begin to realize theologically my flesh is not dead yet. 
No, it ain't dead yet, brother. I can talk about it, but I begin to feel that thing rise up in me. And I want to go up to the register. What's going on in this store? I'd love to be like everybody else. I'm bringing my stuff back. This is stupid. This is the most ridiculous thing. We've been standing back there 20 minutes. But I am an example. In the bank, in the store, on the road. Going back and forth, blowing my horn at people. Drive up next to them. It's the chairman of your board of deacons in that car. <laughs> Served you right. See, example, I think that way continually. About being on time for people. And, and just, just little things that speak highly of the kingdom of God. And, 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 it's, and listen, everybody knows if you pay your bills. I went to buy a cell phone for a pastor several years ago, a smartphone. I went in there to buy it. I was so excited. When I got ready to buy it, they said, now whose name is this going to be under? I gave them the name of the pastor. He went and checked it and said, we're sorry. We, we can't put that phone in his name. I said, really? Why not? He said, that guy don't pay his bills for months at a time. We can't get another account for him. I said, excuse me. It's all out there. It's all out there. Community knows. They know. So you're doing a fine work for the Lord. If you've jumped these first three little hurdles I just put out there, integrity, purity, example, you're doing a fine work for the Lord. That's where he starts. An overseer must be above reproach. Lift your hands and just begin to thank the Lord that you still have your integrity in your community. And you still have your purity and your, in your reputation. Father, we thank you, Lord. I, it is your grace that has maintained my integrity in Baton Rouge and purity and example. I thank you, Lord, that in this room it's a group of fine people, Lord. Blessings upon their heads, Lord. Blessings upon their head in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. So, we got that one. Now let's keep going. First, above reproach. Second, I think these have to be not necessarily in order. You know, the Bible says there abides faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. So don't take every list and say they're always in order. But it, it's interesting to me, I'll say, that the number two thing he said is a husband of one wife. I think that to me, my relationship to Melanie probably is of the highest importance of everything going on in my ministry. Notably, we've had examples in the last few years of divorces going on. And I'm not going to get into the theology of this whole verse about divorce, remarriage, and this, and that. that's a whole different subject. I'm not going to move there. But I believe the key to a happy marriage is a happy wife. If mama ain't happy. Now that ain't in the Bible, but it ought to be. If mama ain't happy. And you can read Psalm 128. What does it say? It says, your wife shall be like a 
fruitful vine in the center, literally Hebrew, in the center of your home. The wife somehow sets the tone of joy and happiness in the entire household. I thank God for Melanie. Imagine a woman raising six children while pastoring a large church, one of them on dialysis, homeschooled them all. She was homeschooling and running over there and running a dialysis machine at our home. Joel was hooked up on a life and death machine, and she's going over there teaching and cooking at the same time. Washing eight loads of clothes a day, two loaves of bread and a gallon of milk every day. Running back and forth to that store. How did she do it? Husband of one wife. Now, I, I've listed and I have taught on this, and forgive me if some of you have heard these words. But I'm going to give you just a few words that have been life lessons for me about how to keep Melanie happy. All seven of these I've broken. <laughs> I'm telling you in advance, this is, a, this is a time of learning, a 35 years of marriage, Rod and Mary, 50 years of marriage. This is what we're talking about. Daddy, 63 years of marriage. And if you'll do these seven things... She will be happy. You will not divorce. There's not a chance in a million. First of all, financial security. As you're writing that down, did anybody see in the paper about the pastor's wife in the news about a week ago, two weeks ago, who hired a look-alike. She found a lady at Cole's department store that looked exactly like her and offered her 200 bucks a weekend to go to the church services in her place. That went on for two and a half years. The lady made over $10,000, the look-alike, until the day her husband called on her to come up and sing an old hymn that they used to sing together. And that's when the truth came out. Now, I know you feel, what kind of a wife is that? Well, here's my question. What kind of a husband is that? I think I would notice that that ain't Melanie. I mean, I know that woman. Can you believe that that pastor is so engrossed in himself that he let a lady sit down there and not notice that that was not his wife? Everybody say, have mercy. <laughs> That's in the, the news. It was actually the week before I left for Mexico, so it's getting close to a, a month. Look it up yourself. Now that, back to the wife, you know that lady was unhappy. To spend her money hiring a lady to go to church for her. She hated church so bad. Ain't supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be a fine work. Oh, mama's supposed to be happy in the ministry. And the first reason she gets unhappy is because of financial insecurity. And it didn't have to be that way. 
Husbands should live within the means of that family. Provide for them as best he can and save money. Rockefeller was the first man to hit a billion dollars. And the reason was he tied 10%, saved 10%, lived on 80%. You've heard that. You need three months of savings in the bank. Now that's Dave Ramsey. That's not the Apostle Paul. That's Dave Ramsey. And you do need that because what happens when money is present in, a, in an account, the insecurities that a woman feels disappear. Men don't feel that insecurity. They pay their bill every month. The next day, they're not worried about anything. But a woman's worried about where's it coming from three months from now. So, finances. Secondly, companionship. When a wife gets lonely, she's unhappy. You say, my wife, no reason for her to be lonely. I'm there every night. About 30% of you is there. Your body is there. But your mind and your heart are somewhere else. You walk in and go grab a remote control, turn the TV on, pick up your iPad, put it in your lap, start surfing the web and watching games. Have you ever noticed that your wife repeatedly has to say to you, I just said that to you. It's not a hearing problem. It's a focus problem. She's becoming lonelier by the year as you become more and more involved in all of your kingdom activities. When I realized that, I, I decided to turn my phone off and watch TV with Melanie. We have we love to watch BBC movies, classic romance, and all these period movies. We were watching one last night. That we we absolutely love doing that. But we just we bought us a little trailer motorhome thing, and we camp together, and we do all these things together. I just decided to just do everything with her because a lonely wife is a miserable existence. Third word, routine. You'll stay married a long time if you maintain a routine in your family. Each morning, we wake up about 6.15, 6.30, put on our running clothes, and if it's 28 degrees outside, bundle up, layers, big jackets, ski masks. I look like a bank robber going out there. And we walk two miles with our big dog, Simba. And it's every morning... We walk, we talk about life. Come back, we eat the same cereal every day. I'm so tired of that cereal. But Melanie absolutely loves it, and I can just see her almost wiggling as she gets out the boxes of cereal. Puts out the bowls, and if I happen to be fasting or whatever, oh, it bothers her. If I'm leaving, I'm not eating breakfast because... It breaks our routine. Something about a pastor's wife constantly deals with the breaking of routine. She needs a few things in life that don't ever seem to change. One time a policeman knocked on my door at 1 o'clock in the morning. We're in bed. 
I go to the door in my robe. It's a state trooper. He says, we have a man at the state capitol building. He's got dynamite around his waist. He's got his child there with him with a machete. He's strapped himself to the front door of the state capitol. He's going to blow the state capitol up, and he's asking for you. I heard Melanie say from the bedroom, he's not coming. <laughs> what do you say to a big old state trooper with an 18-inch neck? He says, sir, we need you at the state capitol right now. One o'clock in the morning, cold. I got out of the bed. I said, I'll be right with you. I went and put my clothes on. 100 miles an hour, we drive down I-10, pull up at the state capitol. It was 14, 15 cars, state police cars with their flashers all going. Searchlights on the front door. This guy's up there. Two officers said, let's go. We start walking up the states. I see Pennsylvania, Delaware, you know, and, and we get all the way up to Kentucky. And I'm about 10 steps from the top, and it dawns on me, can you see dynamite coming? <laughs> I mean, what if this guy presses that red button in his hand? And I decided that's as far as I'm going to go. And these brave police officers kept right on walking, got right up to the top, got close enough to him to notice it was not dynamite, it was flares. Within about two minutes, he surrendered, came down. Do you know that guy, by the way, went to a mental ward for three days and got out? If I'd have done that, I'd still be in prison. Is that weird? But you don't ever know. Routine is something you have to preserve. Kenneth Hagin had a lady call him at 3 o'clock one morning and said, Brother Hagin, the Lord just told me you have a word for me. He said, I do, sister. Go back to bed. <laughs> Brother, you need to put a moat around your yard with crocodiles in it. He said, well, people come up and knock on my door all the time. Well, get you a fence. Get you a gate. Do something. Because, see, the very people that demand to see you at any time, all hours, are the ones that will be pointing their finger when your marriage is destroyed. And your kids are all backslidden. So I just decided, you know what? Family first. Melanie first. Routine. Get in a routine. Whatever it is, stay in that routine. A fourth word is communication. I learned about pastors, and I'm probably taking a little bit too long on this, but I'm just taking my time. I'm not, not, not going to worry. I'll just spill this over into the morning. Routine is important. And then communication. Pastors are almost like defense attorneys. When our wife, who loves us and lives close to us and knows everything about us, makes even a suggestion that the Mighty One might have a flaw. Not a sin, a flaw. A toothbrush left on the counter flaw. A your dental floss didn't reach the trash basket flaw. I'm coming, I'm coming. <laughs> and underwear didn't reach the hamper flaw. And when we begin to think that she is stepping on the respect side of us, we turn it around like a defense attorney, and it's her fault. 
And all of that is a lack of communication. After years go by where every time she brings up anything about the great one, he turns it around. Within about 30 minutes, it's her. She gets discouraged. She gets hopeless and she gets unhappy. I decided, and this is a mistake I made. I'm a good defense attorney. My sister, number one LSU law school. I think I have that in me. I can defend myself pretty well. Thank you very much. <laughs> but about 10 years ago, I realized that Melanie was discouraged because she couldn't ever approach me with anything. And I said, you know what? She's right. I'd say 99% of the time she's right. Because she loves me. And if your breath can kickstart a 747, <laughs> brother, she's just trying to tell you, get a tic-tac with a battery. <laughs> it's just simple things, practical things. But if she can't communicate, now Melanie is free to communicate to me, this is wrong. And she doesn't want to hurt my feelings. She chooses the right time. And by the way, ladies, don't get the Michael thing going. David comes back in from a great day of victory, and she started railing on him. So I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But I am saying, men, that a wife gets unhappy if she can't communicate. Number five, honor. A wife gets unhappy if she's dishonored. The Lord spoke to me several years ago about not honoring Melanie in our church. I had a parking place. She didn't. I had a laptop computer. She didn't. And the Lord asked me a simple question. What's the percentage of women to men in the church? Now, it was about two-thirds women. Really, every church is about two-thirds women. I know they guys are not us, brother. We mostly men. Well, count again. Because it isn't so. And, and the Lord spoke to me, the way I honor Melanie is how the women in our church will respond to my leadership. Newt Gingrich is in a heap of Barney right now in Florida. And, you know, Barney's Barney Rubble got some trouble. Y'all know what that is. He's in, his biggest political problem now is how women are perceiving him after his little thing or whatever happened. I don't even know all about it. But see, in our world today... The way I treat the queen of the house is how they're going to honor the king of the house. And therefore, just a little simple adjustment I made in my mind. So when I walk in with Melanie to the church, we walk together and I'm opening the door for her. We leave together. I leave with her. I open the door ahead of her. Wherever we go, I walk out, I open the car door on her side, I let her get in, and all these people are watching. Wow. My boys are watching. He honors her. I challenge you to do that after this meeting tonight. Men, go around the other side of the car. Open the door for your wife. Pick her up off the parking lot. <laughs> Help her in her seat. Close the door. And I don't mean just a show. I'm talking about everywhere you go. But honor. 
Bible says your prayers will be hindered if you dishonor your wife. Number six, trust. A woman is unhappy if she can't trust the word of her husband. If he exaggerates. If he stretches the truth. If he shows up in places that he did not tell her he was going to be. He's going to be at the office, but somebody saw him at the mall. Whoops. What's that all about? And over time, if she gets the feeling that my husband will stretch the truth, bend the truth, manipulate the truth, he does whatever he needs to do to come out clean in every situation. She's sitting there listening. And a sense of distrust develops in her heart. shouldn't be like that. Buddy, if you forgot to pay the light bill, tell her, I forgot. Don't say something else. You forgot. And when she sees, you know, one thing about my babe, one thing about my husband, he always tells the truth. Now she gets happy. I've endeavored to do that with Melanie. I refuse to tell even the whitest lie that exists. I'm not lying for anybody, any reason, any time. Because that dear lady, my trust relationship with her is so imperative. I go 11,000 miles around the world. I'm on the other side of the world. And she's got to trust that when a prostitute knocks on my door, that happened to me in Malaysia. Two o'clock in the morning. Melissa was there with me on the trip. I never traveled alone. She went to the door. Thank God for that. Woman in there trying to get in my room. She's got to know I can trust Larry. She's happy. The last one, protection. A woman is happy when she feels protected. When she feels protected. Several years ago, one of our former chiefs of staff, Philip Murdoch, Brazilian-American, moved back to Brazil, has a church, and one night they put their kids in bed. They had a nanny that lived there at their home. And a knock came at their bedroom door just as they were about to go to bed. They opened the door, and it was the nanny with a gun to her head. It was some thieves, some robbers, had come in their home, grabbed her in the kitchen or somewhere, made her bring them to the bedroom, and they demanded $50,000 from Philip. They said, we know you have it in your safe. He said, I don't. They said, well, then we're going to kill this nanny if you don't go get that money. He begged them. He said, I don't have $50,000. And they cocked the guns and they did all this. This went on for a number of minutes and it was just as tense. And finally one of them said to Philip, if you don't go get that money, we're going to rape your wife. And Philip, when they said that, stepped between them and his wife and said, if you touch my wife, one of us is leaving here in a body bag. That's all he said. And you know, within a matter of a couple of minutes, those robbers dropped all demands, went back down the stairs, and left them unharmed. 
because of the protection of a man for his wife. Of course, you ought to hear Renee tell the story. She gets teary-eyed. She says, Philip is my hero. <laughs> She'll never forget what he did when that shotgun was pointed at her. God spoke to me years ago on a fast that Melanie was uncovered. Brought me to Ruth 3, where she said to Boaz, Cover me. Remember that scripture? Who are you? Your servant, Ruth. Cover me. A woman longs for covering, not smothering. Covering. That just means I am your protector. When the school calls about one of our kids acting up as in the principal's office, I, the husband, am going to the school. When a neighbor calls railing on my wife about what one of our children did, whatever, I ask for the telephone and say, may I help you? And I have had Melanie since the day I told her, forgive me, I have not covered you. Many times say to me, Larry, I need you to cover me in this situation. See, men, women are attracted to a man who will lay down his life for her to protect her in any and every situation. I used to wonder why some of the most beautiful women are married to some of the ugliest men you'll ever see. What does she see in him? It's not what she sees, it's what she feels. Come on, ladies, say amen. She feels a man who will step in and take charge in any situation and allow her to sit on the back seat and recuperate herself. See, I know. I've been in Africa with Melanie alone for two years. She nearly died seven weeks after we were married. And I've been through so many situations with her. And that's when I really had to tell myself, that lady will be happiest when she feels protected. If couples are here tonight, would you mind just taking their hand? I know we got some singles here or some whose spouse is not with you, like me. Take their hand. And I want you to ask the Lord to shine the light on you so deep in this conference that He just gives you tonight at the hotel some time to talk. And in the morning and tomorrow afternoon and all, that more than anything, your marriage is here. Lord, I just thank you that you are doing great and mighty things, a fine work in the marriages of NRP. Oh, Lord, I pray for those that can replicate Rod and Mary. Thank you, Lord, for Rod and Mary's life together through thick and thin, through horrific times. And heavenly times. Lord, I just speak a blessing over every married couple in this room. Father, stretch forth the cane of blessing. Save the best wine for last. Stretch forth a healing upon wounded souls. Lord, a transformation upon men that just heard what I just said. 
Father, I pray that you would do a mighty work in their lives. Thank you for it. Just lift up your hands one more time. Begin to praise God. It's a fine work. Oh, when you're married to a woman that's happy, it's a fine work. Praise you, Father. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Now, should I, can I keep going just a few more minutes? I mean, they told me to be done at 9 o'clock, and I, I don't know. I could stop now if you want me to, but I'll just keep going. I mean, y'all came a long way, so let's just keep rolling. Is that all right? Not addicted to wine. Uh-oh. We got any wine bibbers in here? You realize what a big deal this is today? Buddy, I mean, we got people everywhere looking down their nose at us that don't drink as if we're, we're unenlightened barbarians. And don't you know that in Europe and in Australia, don't you know that people drink and it's no big deal? I know that. I go to those countries too. I, I've been all over the world. I know that. But I'm talking to some people in here who want to do a fine work for God. Last week, one of our dear leaders in our nation caught going 93 miles an hour, 65 zone, got out of the car, couldn't pass a straight line test, couldn't pass a lie test. Breath analyzer, 0.11. Instead of 0.8, threw him in jail. Fox News picks it up, puts his mug shot right there in front of the whole nation. Got him out 6 in the morning, but you know what? The damage is done. I've been praying for that, brother. devil put him in a trap. See, one good thing to remember, if you never drink, you'll never get drunk. No, nothing profound about that. I had a dear missionary friend. He went to Bennigan's, had him a couple of beers. That's all he said. He said he had one. Got caught, breath test, didn't pass. DWI in the newspaper. Finished. Finished in Baton Rouge. Boy, the word was out there. Would you know that brother got a DWI? How would you like a big DWI in the paper for you? Not me, brother. No need for that. I went to a rehab center and ministered to a lady. Ten years off of alcohol. Her niece brought her one wine cooler for Christmas. She went totally back into alcoholism. And this would have to do with any addictive or unethical thing. Basically, in our section of the country and in our world that we live in ministerially, ethically, drugs, alcohol... Pain pills that you're addicted to, that you get prescriptions. I had a doctor call me two weeks ago, Brother Larry, I don't know what to do. One of the highest profile ministries in America. Called me today. I prescribed them some pain pills and sleeping pills about a month ago. Um, enough to kill an elephant. They've already gone through them. They call me back needing more. What should I do? I said, don't give it to them. If they've got a problem, they've got to come forth with that problem and get some help. I'm talking about a leader, a big-time leader. See, the addictive and compulsive behavior of our generation seeping its way into the ministry. Don't be addicted to anything. You know, I just got out of rehab recently. Just got delivered from sugar. 
Praise God. November, Lord told me, you're, you're addicted to sugar. I couldn't pass a plate of cookies out there. I mean, a hostess Twinkie, I could, I could go through a box of them. Little Debbie cakes, help me, Lord. And I just decided, I'm going to get off of these. Well, I went through some withdrawal for about three days. That's easy to say, but more difficult to do. And I've been off sugar three months, lost 10 pounds, praise God. But don't let anything control your life. I'm not talking about it's sin. I'm talking about things that control you. Substances, uh, things that are involved in your life that you can't do without. You'll sacrifice anything for. That's not you. Then we come to the last one. Free from the love of money. Now I want to speak for the last few minutes of this first session about money. Because Gehazi in 2 Kings teaches us probably the best lesson of a leader. He was Elisha's prophet in waiting. He was the next Elisha. He poured water on his prophet's hands. He went everywhere with him. He watched the 16 miracles. He recounted later to the king all of the things that Elisha had done. You would be reading about Gehazi in terms of the miraculous, and the power of God, and all of those things, except for one little issue he had down in him, the love of money. Now, money's neutral. We know it doesn't love anything. It's neutral. Nothing evil about it. But we notice several things about money in Scripture. First is accountability for money. Paul said that he would not travel with a large gift to Jerusalem without others traveling with him and observing everything that was happening with the money. Now I've learned in my ministry, I don't get near the money. I don't even know who the biggest giver at Bethany is or the smallest. I got one lady in my church that gives me a jar of jelly and she needs the jar back. <laughs> and then I've got people that give, one guy gave 300000 several years ago. My accounting office called and said, Brother Larry, there's a check in here for $300,000 and it cleared the bank. <laughs> I had that spent in seven days, brother. <laughs> Church needed so many things, but I don't even know who it was. I don't inquire because I don't want my own heart tainted. And I'm going to get to that in just a minute. I don't want to know. Please don't tell me who did that. I told my staff, if you ever tell me who gave anything, your job is in jeopardy. Because I will maintain the same spirit toward everybody. And if I have to discipline them, I will discipline them with no knowledge of their financial resources. See? But you have to be sure that you are accountable for money. The second thing, and this is what I just referred to, is gifts and favors. I've watched pastors weasel their way into hunting camp privileges that others buy for them 10000 a year, blah, blah, blah. And this businessman I know helps me in this, and I do this for him, I do know. Bowl tickets. On and on the perks go. I've got friends, past friends, God bless them, that are experts, Keith, 
You crowd pans the Super Bowl, there they sit. National championship, college, there they sit. It's people they know. It's favors, favors. I always work in that congregation for a favor. Who do I have in my church to get me? Oh, I know that, brother. He can get me that. Oh, yeah. Had one of my men come to me one time and said, a guy in our church, very wealthy, offered to fly in his private tailor and make him all new suits. I said, no. Thank you. Doesn't appreciate that. You got some in your closet. You can't wear them all now. Thank you very much. Came back and said, Brother Larry, he wants to do it for you too. For everybody else. I said, no. God bless this brother. We appreciate him. But we're not going to take those favors. Condos. All of these things that people work. You know, I have a friend that owns several condos. He's a wealthy businessman. And he said, pastors bug the daylights out of him. He can't become a member of a church, Charlie, because they bug in the daylights. How's your condo this week? Is it empty? Trying to line it up for the summer, free. The brother, gag a maggot. Help me, Lord. <laughs> now, I don't know if I'm stepping on toes. It doesn't matter. But when Gehazi, look what Gehazi did. When he got back with his little money he got from Naaman, and, and, and Elisha said to him, where have you been? He said, your servant went nowhere. He said, did not my heart go with you when you went on the way? And then he asked him this question. Is it a time for the acquiring of vineyards and clothing and properties and all of these things? See, you say, well, you know what? I have this gift coming. Okay, now I'm, I'm not in any way condemning you. If you perceive gifts and favors and perks and all that, I'm just telling you. That your answer should be graciously, thank you, but I'm doing fine. Because you don't want to get in a position where a person has manipulated you to receive such favors that you cannot objectively rebuke, correct, or remove them if necessary. Third word, fees and charges. You know, I know some pastors that are experts at getting money out of other pastors. And they sell everything. They sell a cup in the bathroom to rinse out your mouth. I'm joking. They sell everything. And I learned years ago, many of our conferences, first conferences, we did 2,000 people there, we did not charge for them. I actually like that best. And I don't know, maybe you pay fees here. We do. We allow people to pay registration and so forth, mainly to um, see if they're serious. But I know people in ministry that every benefit they can possibly offer to people, they charge for it. It's a love of money. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Now, I've given away 112,000 copies of Remnant all over the world. In Africa, they fought for them, tearing them out of the boxes like they were Rolex watches. But it's my greatest joy to invest in a pastor, and I might be saving his family. When time is no more, all you'll care about is who you invested in, not what you got out of them. And I could give some notable examples, which I won't. Fourth word, gratitude. You get free from the love of money when you're accountable, when you refuse gifts and favors, when you don't charge for everything. 
when you are thankful to the Lord for what you have. It's like that car I saw held together with pliers and bailing wires, they say, but there was a bumper sticker on the back that said, Don't laugh, it's paid for. Do you realize how much God has given you already? How about Steve Jobs? Owned his own island. Unlimited wealth, $65 billion sitting in the bank. Couldn't buy him one more day of life. He's my age and he's dead and might be in hell. I thank God for every day I breathe Charleston air. How about you? Come on, take your big deep breath. Ooh, that feels so good. Yeah. I thank the Lord that I'm not one of these millionaires that can only eat cheese and crackers. He's got so many uh, ulcers over all of his money being taken from him. I praise the Lord I can eat seafood, gumbo, crawfish etouffee, and I might get some Maryland crab cake somewhere up here. How many of you thank God for your digestive system? See, money is not everything. When your children are all serving God, all six of my kids are in the ministry with me, on staff, working in the church. Money cannot even begin. Offer me a billion dollars and then tell me all your kids will go to hell. I say, you have that money all day long. I remember when Rosie O'Donnell came to Baton Rouge and she looked around for a church after Katrina to give a million dollars to make her a big splash. Mayor calls my office. Gets me on the phone. Pastor, we have the Rosie O'Donnell Foundation here in our office, and they'd like to give a million dollars to Bethany. I said, Mayor, I appreciate everybody's benevolence, but she represents a completely different direction for the morality of America than I do. And I spend much of my time helping to correct the thought processes she injects into America. So I would not be able to accept that. About that time, the, governor, uh, the mayor puts his hand over the phone and says, Pastor, I'm sorry. I had you on speakerphone. I said, Mayor, weep not for me. Weep for yourself and your children. I said, it doesn't bother me. I'm glad she was able to hear. And, of course, they called another church, and they instantly accepted it. I could care less. I could care less. Let, let, let me tell you how little money really means to you. It's zero. One more. Stewardship. Pastors think if they overcommit themselves in building a building that it'll be full the first day. May I tell you the truth about that? Not necessarily. Man called me today that built his church to 5,000 people in a school, paying $100 a week. 5,000 people were coming to his church in a high school. Building sometime, and I'm all in favor, but you have to ask yourself the question about every purchase. A, does this win more souls to the kingdom of God? You know, everybody's going high def in their projection. I'm, I'm excited about that. We'll probably do that eventually 
But I had to ask myself, it's $250,000. I had to ask myself the question. Is high-definition screens going to win more souls to the Lord? The ones we got cost a couple hundred thousand. Let's just let her roll. Just let her roll. You reckon they're going to walk out of the church because it's not high def? See, get, get a realistic picture. And not like if you've got high def screen, we'll, like, we'll probably do it. You know, Jonathan didn't want to do that. No, that's cool. I'm telling you what I did. Brother Roy taught me, always ask yourself, Am I being a good steward of this money? And that's why I have no time for people that spend God's money really f- foolishly, but they squeeze their own nickel until the Indian rides the buffalo. <laughs> brother, they're so tight, they squeak. But when they get a hold of a church checkbook, brother, they just spin it everywhere, just like it's all... And Bethany, $11, $12 million a year income. Buddy, people, they'll just spend till, it, till you, just, you just wouldn't believe it. It's shameful. I, and I've never allowed that. Because you know who pays that? People get up 3 o'clock in the morning go to work. I mean working men up on them telephone poles and all. All the men out there in those plants with asbestos suits on, 113 degrees in those attics. That's who's tithing. I got no time for that. Daddy went down years ago to dedicate a little church that Bethany had helped put the roof on. 500 bucks we put the roof on this little Mexican church. Daddy rode the bus down there. Of course, that's Baptist now. He has his Baptist days. Just been spirit-filled. He went down there. The night before the dedication, there was a lady that had donated the property where this little building was, block building with the zinc roof Bethany paid for. She had donated the property. She lived right next door to it. And she went over, Brother Kevin, to just kind of look at the building one last time before the dedication the next day. And when she walked out on that property, she saw angels coming in and out of the windows. She told Daddy about it the next day. She said, I mean, with my eyes, I saw angels... And Daddy had just been at the First Baptist Church, Picayune, Mississippi. Hub of the universe, where he's from. And their steeple cost $50,000. And that church cost five hundred. dollars And the Lord spoke to Daddy in that service and said, Do you want people or the steeple? Use that money. Stretch that money so far. Because it's kingdom work. I told Brother Rob, we planted 50 churches this month, 50 last month, 57 in November. People giving, and we stretch it. Brother, I mean, so stewardship. And I could go further and further in money, but it's 8.55. Pastor Rod asked me to be done about 9 o'clock, and I'm getting kind of hungry too. I don't know about you. Can you bless the Lord tonight? Let's give Him praise and glory. Hallelujah. Oh, come on, let's stand.